This is my second installment of one of two um, on the doctrine of the rapture. And it's important that you, you listen to both for I'm deconstructing the false doctrine of the rapture. Um, now, what I, want to, what I want to do is to begin with this reading uh, which is a recapitulation of what I, what I ended the last session with. And upon reading this or rereading it, what I intend to do is simply point out the highlights of what I've already pointed out by way of setting up, delving into 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, so I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep in Christ, or fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. So the premise, there's going to be a resurrection of those who have already died in Christ. What is the basis on which we assert that fact? Well, Jesus died and was raised again. That is a fact and we know it. Uh, again, this is two parts, so I'm not going to rehearse everything I said in the first part. And because Jesus died and was raised again, even so we believe God will bring with Him at the return of the Lord those who have died who have fallen asleep in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord." In other words, this is not some um, thought-up doctrine on my part. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, being caught up to be with the Lord will not occur for those who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord until those who have died in Christ have been raised. Right? Both being taken up occur when? At the time of the return of the Lord. For look, He's already descending. This is no seven-year wait in heaven, that's that's garbage theology. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, right? So He is descending, means He's no longer in heaven, He is already on His way here. And lest you think He's going to take seven years to get here, it's we're going to be caught up to meet Him in the clouds, in the clouds, physical clouds, just like when He was taken up, Acts 1 refers to it, a cloud received Him out of their sight. So it's at the level of the clouds, okay? For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, so an archangel will shout. This is about the coming of the King. 
So a page, an announcer, hear ye, hear ye, kind of announcement will be the sound of the voice of an archangel. And we've seen these archangels who can shake, who at the sound of their voices, foundations of things are shaken. So there's no issue as to the amplification of their voice. With a shout, and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. So an archangel announces as a page, a trumpet blast to arrest everybody, and the dead in Christ will rise first. If, if this were a live audience, I would say, say after me, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Because that's the point. Those who have already fallen asleep in Christ will arise before those who are alive and remain are caught up. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 will tell us something more about how they are caught up. It tells us that they will be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. And it tells us that within the context of talking about different forms of bodies. We have a natural body now, we'll be raised with an incorruptible body, if you are those who have fallen asleep in Christ, and those who are alive and remain will be transformed in the shortest increment of time from their present physical form to the same form of their brethren who died and who are now being resurrected in a celestial form. All right? That we who are alive and remain will be caught up in that form in parenthesis, together with them who have died, together with them in the clouds. Jesus is not a slow train coming, he's not a seven year work in process. In the clouds, he will have descended to the clouds by that day to meet the Lord in the air. The clouds are in the air. <laughs> I mean, how on earth could you read this scripture and talk about anything like a pre-trib, mid-trib rapture? This is when the Lord is coming back. That's after all the shaking everything that precedes the coming of the Lord has happened. And part of what I'm laboring to show you is how the saints are not, we're not huddled in some corner somewhere trying to survive, we're fully clothed with the authority of heaven and our goal is not survival, in these times just before the coming of the Lord, our goal is to put on display the full range of the glory of God, the glory of His character, the glory of His name, all of that in the midst of the fully matured effort of Satan to, to keep us from reflecting the glory of God. To take us out before then, you see, is an admission of defeat. We have no purpose except to survive. 
That's why I'm unrestrained in my criticism of those who say that you will be raptured out before these things happen. Their, their, their negligence to prepare you borders on being criminal, it's at a minimum a dereliction of duty. If you think that this, this, the end of the age is about just saying, give me your hand, give God your heart, as has been popularized in television evangelists, and join the church of your choice and that's it, then of course you want an escape option. But if you're understanding you're born again and that doesn't mean so you can go to heaven when you die, although it includes that, but you're born into sonship. Is not a natural child born into a family? But being born as a child, you're not supposed to remain as a child. But the doctrine of these folks would be where you're born as a child and you'll remain as a child 60 years, 70 years later and get raptured out just in case that's the time when the Lord is coming back. What utter mind-numbing folly! The purveyors of these need to at least open the Bible again and stop being parrots, mouthing the language of misinformed theologians. People who are not even concerned actually because they're dispensationalists in that they think about the Scriptures in terms of epochs. A dispensation is not an epoch, a dispensation is what it says it is, the giving out to dispense. It's how God dispenses grace and the grace is the economy of His house. God dispenses the oikos nomos, from which you get the English term oikonomia or economy, the economy of His house. So He's reserved that economy of His house that is the mature saint for the end of the age. It's not this foolish Baptist doctrine about uh, dispensationalism, it's not a time epoch, it's about the giving out of an order of His house, the oikos nomos, the nomos or the order of His house. So He'll give out the order of the mature saint at the end of the age because it is the perfect foil, it is that which overcomes everything the enemy does and at the same time puts on display the glory of God which is what God created man for, a man in the image and likeness of his father, a man who is the glory of God's representation in the earth. If the age concludes without that showing, then God in fact does not have a man made in His image and likeness who is the, for the purpose of being the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His person on the earth, and the experiment has failed. But 
there's no chance it will, and a foolish doctrine based upon a, a, a grotesque misreading of Scripture, an intentional, I would say. You can't read this with a half a brain and conclude that you're somehow going to be raptured out of here seven years before these things. In fact, you can't read the New Testament without understanding that the saints are in the midst of what's going on because that's where they display the glory of God. Listen, if, 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 if you are under the, the rule or teaching of preachers who are teaching this folly, get out! The danger to you is they are not preparing you and the times have come of critical importance. You don't owe loyalty to these systems that have you waiting for uh, an exit. Their dereliction is imperiling you and if you choose to be subject to it, then and you've heard this message, then you're no longer innocent. And don't go to these fellows and tell them what, what, tell them to listen to this, they won't. Don't be disappointed if you try it and they come up with a reading that somehow tries to explain away the plain meaning of Scripture. They can't, it doesn't make one bit of sense because of what this passage is saying, but they will try. And because it's familiar to your ears, you will, be, you will likely be deceived by it. But I'm asking you, read the Scriptures now having heard what I have said and see if there's any possible way you could wrangle out of these Scriptures you going to heaven seven years or three and a half years before Jesus comes back. They're simply playing on your fear. But I am saying to you that as mature sons of God, this is your moment to shine individually and corporately and God prepared it to be so. Perhaps God will be gracious if you choose not to believe to take you out before the times come because you would have no chance of surviving, let alone putting on display the glory of God. Listen, it's a time for blunt talk. I am not playing games. For the longest while preachers have have coached each other into silence by saying such foolish things as you can't you can't um, you can't dis- disagree with things they say because they're the man of God. You're the man of God when you're speaking for God, not when you're speaking the foolish doctrines that fail to prepare the people of God. Then you're speaking for yourself. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the Lord. This isn't about being with the Lord in heaven, 
It's about being with the Lord. Now where will the Lord be? Why is He even coming back? He doesn't need to come back to gather us up, you know, and just take us up to heaven. He doesn't need to come back to gather us and do a return trip to heaven taking us with Him. No, He did that once and that's in, uh, in Ephesians, uh, the, the fourth chapter. That's when He led captives in His train and He was leading them to heaven. That's after He was, he was resurrected from the dead and He took the righteous dead with Him to heaven and that's where they are now and indeed the souls of all those who have died in Christ together with their spirits are in heaven. So why not simply add to the number those who are alive and remain? Have them come up and close up heaven, close up shop, we're done. Why do you come back? Because there is the matter of ruling with a rod of iron. There's the matter of the millennium. There's a matter of finishing the rule that was cut off before he could finish it. He will rule for a day and the earth will know the peace and the good order of his presence for a day which is a thousand years. So he comes back to the earth and he brings us with him. In fact, I don't know, I don't know how a person could read the book of Revelation about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for a husband and statements such as, the first heaven and the first earth passed away. I don't know how we could read these things and conclude that heaven is eternal. We're going there and it'll be eternal, it'll be, it'll be what it is from now on. No, we'll, there'll be new heavens and a new earth. All of what is in heaven will be emptied out including the great white throne of God's judgment and it'll come upon a renewed earth for purposes yet to be fulfilled. So heaven is not the final destination and and you should have known that, why? Because heaven is a created place, it's not eternal, it was created. Or have you forgotten or didn't even, it didn't register with you? That in in the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 it tells us heaven was created created the same time or within the same epoch, within the same transaction that brought the earth into being. Did he not say, in the beginning God created the heavens, plural, and the earth? You don't have any difficulty concluding that the earth being created would be dissolved but you prefer to retain the fact that a created thing exists forever.
There's no such thing. Anything that has a beginning has an end. The heavens had a beginning. There's a time when they were not. And so having begun, they're destined to be rolled up as a scroll. We look for new heavens and a new earth. So this whole emphasis on escapism is soundly unbiblical and runs counter to everything the Scriptures say. Let me show you more on the same subject. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Come with me to that reading, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me get to that because we want to delve into that. Here Paul begins again, as you would suspect, with a discussion of the resurrection of the dead. Because this isn't really about those who are living, it's about the doctrine of the resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 15, I'd like to begin at verse 16 and, and skip around through verse 58. But I invite you, and, and indeed I encourage you, to read all of it. Now, if Christ be preached that He has been raised from the dead, Paul is speaking, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? What is the subject matter? Same as 1 Thessalonians 4, it's about how the dead will be raised. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. Yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God raised up Christ whom He did not raise up, if indeed the dead are not raised. If the dead do not rise, then Christ has not risen, and if Christ has not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, same as 1 Thessalonians, will have perished. But if, this, if in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most to be pitied. But Christ is ri- but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which is to say what? He has become the first example of those who have, been, who have fallen asleep. Now he goes on to talk about the resurrection and he says, but each one in his own order, verse 23, Christ the firstfruit, right? afterwards those who are Christ at His coming. So you who are alive and remain at His coming, uh, then you are included in that as well. All right, now I have, I have to skip through much of the Scriptures, uh, much of the verses, and I want to go quickly to verse 35 which says, But some will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body shall they come? That concerns those who have been buried, 
dead and buried. And then he says, you're foolish if you don't know that you don't resurrect the same form of that which died. And he gives examples of different kinds of things such as wheat. So a grain of wheat doesn't produce a grain of wheat when it's resurrected. Produce a full ear of full of full a full plant with multiple ears. So there's an exponentializing. And so verse 40 says they're celestial bodies, they're terrestrial bodies. And then he concludes in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. In other words, a body that is decaying, falling down, getting old, uh, it's raised a different form of body. Verse 44 defines it specifically. It says it's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, and he tells us that the first Adam became a living being and the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. And and then he says, inasmuch as you have borne the image, verse 49, of the man of dust, you shall also bear the image of the man from heaven. So you once clothed in Adam, you'll be clothed in the spiritual body of Christ, meaning you're assembled to Him in His resurrected form and you will be revealed with Him in that form. Now, so I want to, I want to get right to where it connects to 1 Corinthians 15, 16. There he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. That's 1 Thessalonians 4. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise, will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality, so that which is corruptible, uh, so what is corruptible has put on incorruption, the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks to God who gives us the victory through Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. You note the exact parallel? The trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first in a different form, those who, a, 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 a spiritual form, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's the form of their resurrection, those who are alive will be changed in an instant to that form as well. And between Thessalonians and Corinthians, the whole picture is presented to us. This is, these are primarily teachings on the resurrection. How on earth did they become twisted into teachings on a rapture? 
a thing that does not exist in Scripture. I'll have a little bit more to say on it at the beginning of the, of the next session. Bless you. Bye-bye.